This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Kyle Costa Show presented by The Big Lead. You know, something that just came across the wire demands our attention this afternoon and that's the existence of a Sean Payton movie entitled Home Team. It's an upcoming Netflix film about the year Sean Payton was suspended from the New Orleans Saints for the bounty scandal. And the news to take away here is that Sean Payton is played by Kevin James. And a lot of people, you know, see the humor in that because Kevin James is a lot of things. He is not exactly a Hollywood matinee star in the looks department. Now, I think he's very attractive, but Kevin James has built a career in comedy. Sean Payton has an interesting personality, doesn't really give off Kevin James vibes. And, you know, there's a lot of people saying that Payton should be frustrated and disappointed that James is playing him in this picture, which will, I can't even imagine. I, if it doesn't have kids getting hit in the face with footballs, strong little Giants vibes, I will be disappointed. We just had this situation with the Kurt Warner movie in which Zachary Levi plays the former grocery clerk stocking shelves turned Super Bowl champion. That one wasn't a particular hit from people who saw it. They did not think it was a great piece of cinema. That's fine. I'm of the belief that all movies are good movies if you go into them with the right mindset. I'm excited to see this Peyton picture. I really am because in a way, he gets to leave a legacy and whether this legacy wants to be about the year spent away from the NFL, as opposed to his Super Bowl championship or his status as one of the best coaches of the last 20 years in the NFL, you take what you can get. I'm all in on the Sean Payton movie. I couldn't be more excited about the Kevin James casting. He'll bring a very cool vibe to it. Honestly, the worst thing that happens is he plays a very serious character and it's a dramatic turn. Kevin James, good in dramas. Don't sleep on him. Don't pigeonhole him. Don't let your expectations get in the way of a good time. I'm sorry that Jeremy Renner or whoever you wanted to play Sean Payton was unavailable. Okay. They're going with Kevin James. Nobody ever went bankrupt betting on Kevin James. Let that be a lesson to all of us. So today we're going to be talking to Harold Shelton. He's research manager over at Big Ten Network. I went to journalism school with him at Michigan State. So you could try to keep me from broadcasting about a Michigan State basketball team that looks pretty good, that has been winning basketball games, that looks like something Tom Izzo dreamed up and manifested to life made entirely of glue guys and rim runners. But you will not be successful because I'm going to do it. As you found out in football season, I will take any opportunity I can to be positive about the teams that I support and that I care about. And this has been a particularly fun ride. I talked to Harold about the squad so far, some of the numbers that suggest that they can maintain this level of play, some of the numbers that suggest there will be a reversion to the mean. It was an interesting conversation. We also talked about how he got his job behind the scenes at the Big Ten Network, Harold spent some time at ESPN. He's a really thoughtful producer, and he specializes in those stats that come to mind during a game or during a show that get in your head and you just keep singing like a tune. 
they really add to the enjoyment. He has a keen eye for that. He talked about his process, what it's like to be on a team. I think that in our conversation, it was revealed that there are so many things that people can do in sports if they have the passion, if they have the drive that you might not know about. Harold was open with that. He's optimistic about this team. Maybe not as optimistic as I am, but then again, who is? So you'll hear that interview. But first, while I have you, I want to mention something that our friends over at the Players' Tribune are doing. Their number one podcast, Knuckleheads, featuring Quentin Richardson and Darius Miles. I've been listening to it for a long time. It brings on some of the best NBA players, past and present. They have these totally unguarded conversations about sports, culture, and basketball nostalgia. One of the things that I've been noticing in my copious podcast listening career is that stories from players are really, really good. And they've been undervalued for such a long time because they have perspective of what it's like to go to battle each and every single day. They are dealing with issues. They see the game with these layers that we can't comprehend because we're not in it day to day. This season, they have a great list of guests lined up. That includes Kevin Durant, KD, Jason Tatum, JT, Sue Bird, Bird, and DeMar DeRozan, Double D. Those nicknames I just made up, they are not legally binding. These two are lifelong friends and bonafide truth tellers. In their conversations with these guests, which include the high-profile athletes I mentioned before, musicians, and even entertainers, they'll get brutally honest about everything, from current events to untold stories, from the golden era of sports and culture. The show is named for the on-court celebration they made wildly popular. And this unfiltered, hilarious, and surprising podcast is like playing NBA 2K with no fouls. I really encourage you to check it out. The Players' Tribune is one of the properties Minute Media is proud to support. They are undoubtedly more interesting than me. They have better perspective, as you can tell from the basketball analysis you will find over the next 40 minutes. That's Knuckleheads, courtesy of the Players' Tribune. After this short break, you will hear my interview with Harold Shelton. Research manager at Big Ten Network. I've known you for a while, man. It's my first time talking to you on camera, on tape. So, you know, don't get nervous. Just, just converse like we have for so long. Thanks for coming in to talk about a basketball team that's near and dear to both our hearts and I think has surprised us a little bit with how competent they've looked, kind of bucking a lot of Tom Izzo trends over the last decade, maybe decade and a half. Yeah, but first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, I know it's been a while since we talked and, and I know once you messaged me about, hey, you know, you want to come on and talk Sparty? I said, sign me up. Uh, so definitely looking forward to, to getting into that and look good to see you and, you know, looking forward to chopping it up here. You got it. You know, I think in a lot of ways, this basketball team, which is nine and two right now has jumped out to two early wins in the big 10 and has a very favorable schedule going forward the next month to amass some significant leads over certain teams in the big 10 standings, if they can win them before kind of coming to reality down the stretch, but I guess I'll just start with it this way. It doesn't feel too dissimilar to what the football team was doing, which was kind of week by week, kind of showing new things that, Hey, you know what? Uh, there might be something cooking here. And maybe as we waited for the other shoe to drop, 
for Mel Tucker. It took until that fateful afternoon in Columbus for it to come down and kind of like break us back into reality. But this basketball team is kind of ascending in a way like I don't think your expectations were that high for it because even in the Big Ten, they were seen as like the sixth or seventh team and probably not going to compete for a title. But I think it was pretty clear after that opening night loss against Kansas how quickly they rebounded that there was a lot of weaponry at Tom Izzo's disposal. And I think that's exactly the type of team he would sign up to coach each and every single year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's funny you mentioned the the Mel Tucker parallel because, you know, that team was picked to finish last in the division and, and wound up, you know, uh, you know, leading up to that game against Ohio State, you know, they were right in the mix for the Big Ten Championship. And I think this year for hoops, they were picked sixth preseason. And I thought that was a little low, but I didn't see them as a Big Ten title contender. I, I thought like Purdue and Illinois would be the two teams that everybody would be chasing. And then maybe Michigan State could be in that mix for like that double buy, you know, top four seed, something like that. But right now, the way that the league looks, you know, the league's not as strong as people thought. Michigan State looks better. Um, the Kansas game, I was a little, I won't say disappointed, but, you know, I guess just trying to figure out, you know, all the hype that came with Tyson Walker and thinking I was going to be immediate and it wasn't. And the hype with Max Christie and thinking it was going to be immediate and it wasn't. And then you you, you kind of take a step back and you're like, OK, well, Bingham played pretty well against like, you know, good competition. And you don't normally see that for like long stretches. And you're like, OK, they kind of hung in for 30 minutes without really anyone playing well outside of him and Marble. So you figure once they got going, maybe there's something here. And as we've seen you know, through these first 11 games or so, it seems like there are different guys that are popping up every night and they're becoming a really, really tough team to guard. I agree. And it started immediately after that Kansas loss. We can just tick through some of their victories and see how impressive we think that they are. They almost doubled up Western Michigan 90 to 46 that man that's a butt kicking then they go down to butler and they play in hinkle and are not distracted by the bright lights and the quaintness of, and all that or exercise or too focused on exercising demons to uh you know respond and they just boat race butler and win by 21 then they go play in a tournament and win last second games against loyola chicago and uconn before ultimately giving baylor a good shot in the first half and then kind of succumbing to what is probably the best team in college basketball as we've seen since then. But at that point I was kind of like, you know, I don't know how much more this team is going to have to show me the rest of the way before there's a little part of me that's already convinced if they get into the tournament as a seven or eight seed, I was thinking at that point that they could do real damage and go on one of those runs like they did in 2015 where they come from that seven spot and knock off the two early on. And since then, that was kind of like, that was kind of like where my bar was and I was happy with it. And then since then, four straight wins has kind of got me thinking, you know what, am I okay to start dreaming in something a little bit bigger here? Because there are signs for improved optimism going forward. No, I, I think that's completely fair. Um, especially after last year, you know, kind of limped into the tournament and you didn't really know what to expect. Um, but, uh, the Bahamas was really big for me. I definitely wanted them to get two wins, 
uh, just because you need all that stuff for, for your net rating and your strength schedule. And, you know, three games in three days, you kind of see a lot about your team. You know, one day it's Malik Hall. You know, another day it's Julius Marble. You know, Walker got a little more comfortable down there. So you got to kind of see all of the, the pieces that the team has. They got two really good wins with Loyola and UConn. I think those will will hold up really well come March. And like you said, they they pushed Baylor for probably 25, 30 minutes before running out of gas. Um, I think, you know, right now, Sweet 16-ish ceiling. You know, I think before it was like, okay, get to the tournament, win a game, see what happens from there. But now the way they defend and the variety of shot makers that they have, you know, with the right matchups, you know, hopefully this is a second weekend team at least. Yeah, I agree. And I think at this point, second, not reaching the second weekend would be a disappointment because I've seen how well they can gel, whether they will do that in March or not remains to be seen. Like I was mentioning before, the four games after the Bahamas tournament, I think is really showed the rotations, what the rotations are going to look like down the stretch. And, you know, the ascension of Tyson Walker, who we talked about as a transfer from Northeastern, uh, he's been playing out of his mind. And those are wins over Louisville and Toledo at home, then going and winning fairly easy and wire to wire at Minnesota, and then just totally running in a 40 minute fast break against Penn State this last Saturday. Maybe for people who don't follow Michigan State basketball as closely as us. This is so far uh, ahead of schedule. We're used to kind of taking some lumps and watching this science experiment uh, being conducted by Tom Izzo, uh, oftentimes with some real failures. But it does kind of seem like he's figured out the pieces and maybe sees a way forward. And we can start roster-wise with Joey Hauser, who is a problem and it's unfortunate and he has not lived up to potential. But we've seen how good this team can be if he only needs to get eight points and eight rebounds in a game instead of being like a 15 and 10 guy. Yeah. And I think last year, everybody was kind of expecting him to be, you know, this, this missing piece because we heard so much during the team with Cassius and X where he couldn't play. And like, he was great in practice and he was going to be the man and, you know, came in from Marquette and, you know, was a great shooter. And then when he got, into the fold last year when we didn't have a point guard and a lot of the load fell on him and he wasn't quite ready for that. That didn't appear to be his game. But now that he has a point guard, he can set him up in different spots. And like you said, right now, it seems like we kind of have a big fee of Walker, Brown and Hall. Um, I would prefer Christie would sub out for Hall as part of that big three. I think that's where they could be at their most dangerous, but he's not quite there yet. But now that Hauser isn't relied upon to be a 15-point scorer, if he can, you know, hit a couple threes, grab some rebounds, you know, play good position defense, make your free throws late in the game, I think, you know, hopefully that'll be enough for his confidence where the weight of the world isn't on his shoulders because it seems like he was pressing a lot. You know, I know Izzo mentioned a lot of stuff about social media getting to him and stuff like that. So hopefully now that, you know, he's the fifth or sixth option on the team, you can get more of the Joey Hauser we expected to see, you know, a year ago, two years ago. And if we get that, then they become even more dangerous. Yeah. To that point, Hauser is playing the sixth most minutes on the team. 
Do you know who's number one? It's it's a pretty surprising name. I was gonna, I'm gonna guess Christie. It is, it is, and I didn't pre, I did not anticipate that from watching the games, but he's just a tick under 30, and Gabe Brown is at 28. I think right there is the focus of the team when you talk about what Michigan State is known for, and that's the running wings down after made baskets or turnovers. They run so much, and this team loves to run. And with Christie and Brown, you have these wings who not only will give 110% in that short burst, which most offenses create in that first five seconds, they have both proven, and Christie already is a freshman. We know what Gabe Brown is lengthwise. They've proven to be incredible at the point of attack on defense. And I think that's why they're getting the lion's share of the minutes. But what to you showcases how good this team is on defense about halfway through the year? I think Marcus Bingham being a complete eraser back there changes everything. Um, I think, I know after the Bahamas, they were first in the country in uh, efficiency defense. I think they're seventh right now, so still really good. Um, you know, they're 11th in block percentage. They're holding teams to less than 27% from three. So, like, to your point with, with Max Garden on the wing, Gabe, Tyson Walker is really, really, really good on defense. He was the Colonial uh, Athletic Association Defensive Player of the Year a year ago. You're seeing it more now. He's a complete problem for these other point guards. He's getting a load of steals. And you know, a lot of times when we turn the ball over and it's the whole turnovers for touchdowns, we're starting to get those now. You know, and it's usually because you know he'll get a steal and, and get a layup or, or start to break and you know, Gabe's getting a dunk or Max is getting a layup. So you know, I think having Bingham back there allows the guards to be a little bit more aggressive on the wing and at the top. And you know, if they happen to get by those guys, you got Bingham back there erasing everything. So we haven't really had an element like that. Uh, you know, I know Tillman was a really, really good defender, but I never saw him as like an eraser. Um, and it looks like Bingham is certainly that. Yeah, what's it? I mean, Drew Namick? I mean, how far back do we have to go? I mean, I'm sure there's <laughs> been some in between. Adrian Payne, I feel like, was pretty good um, uh, back there. Maybe, you know. Yeah, he started to figure it out, I think, like his junior, senior year. And, oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. It's funny you mentioned Payne because this team – feels like the light version of 2013 where they didn't really have an alpha you know Gary Harris was the freshman Max Christie's the freshman this year you know Payne was trying to figure it out on the court as a junior Bingham's kind of in that role now you know Appling was the point trying to figure it out like that's Walker now so there's a lot of like there's no alpha but there's a lot of good pieces you're waiting on guys to kind of find their roles. And, you know, that team was a three seed that year, made the Sweet 16. So I wouldn't be shocked if we got something like that, um, if the defense continues to play as well, and if they continue to cut the turnovers down as they have the last uh, couple games. Is this version of Bingham better than you thought he could ever be, still not where you thought he'd be? Or what kind of – how has his career progressed in, in your mind? Because there was a time where I guess I projected – lottery 
talent out of him if he ever figured it out by the time that he was a senior just based on his physical gifts obviously he's not going to get there but I do think that this is a player who can make a difference in the NBA with his length and his ability to shoot which ironically enough Izzo doesn't really care for him to do that unless it's kind of like uh, off some inside out action and he's wide open at the top of the key but your thoughts on Bingham and where he is because I do think that he's a really really valuable piece on on both ends of the floor um it's I think Bingham at this point is maybe what 75% of what Payne probably finished as. Um, maybe a little less, but I think when I expected Bingham to come in, it would kind of be in the pain mode where he was slender, but he was athletic. He'd block some shots, be able to make some shots, uh, you know, step away from the basket, bring bigs out with them. And we didn't really see that part of it. Like, we're starting to see it a little bit more now. Like, I know he hit a three against Penn State, and he also uh, started the game with a nice mid-range jumper. Like, if that becomes more consistent, then that's just another weapon that you can add to the mix. Um, I always thought defensively he was really good, and he was a major reason why we made the tournament last year, um, is that, you know, we had issues at the five, but once – once he kind of anchored that role for 15, 20 minutes a game and gave them good production, that's when Michigan State started to kind of figure it out and got enough to get into the tournament. It seems like he's much more confident now. He's gotten stronger. I know staying on the court for him was always an issue uh, just in terms of conditioning and things like that, but it sounds like the light went on uh, in the offseason for him, and you know, Izzo's allowed him to shoot it a little bit more and you know, he seems much more confident in his game overall, and that helps, you know, the entire team. Can I anticipate any type of battle and pushback from you as I vie for the crown of number one Jaden Atkins fan? Because oh, man, I cannot get enough <laughs> of this dude. He is my favorite freshman, uh, I think, since McQuaid. Uh, you know, McQuaid stepped right in, hit some big shots, I think, in, in one of those champions Kansas classes game, in yep. Kansas, yeah, where I was just like, they got a guy who looks like uh, Michael Sarah who makes every three-pointer he takes. So I was <laughs> like, I think this guy is going to be uh, a crowd pleaser. But Aikens, he plays like he's a senior in the NCAA tournament with his hustle plays and just knowing his role in owning it. I, I'm just excited to see how he's going to progress because even if he doesn't progress right now, he's having a productive year. Like, I mean, he's scoring five points in 15 minutes a game uh, and he's impacting everything. He's a great passer. He's at, he's at, uh, he's a willing rebounder. He, uh, he kind of like, doesn't, He's like a dog who doesn't know his own size and he, he'll just go up against like something bigger than him and just, just, just has no fear. And for someone to step on campus and be that player from day one, I think he was terrible against Kansas. Actually, he airballed some shots. But right after that, it was just like, no, this is who I am. Like what, uh, you know, what an exciting development over the first 11 games uh, in the Jay Nackins department. Yeah, no, I know. I was expecting him to be athletic because I heard so much about that. And he certainly fits the bill there. I know Izzo was praising him about, you know, being the best rebounding guard since Charlie Bell. I'm like, oh, that's high praise. But you're seeing it. And, you know, the, the Minnesota game where, you know, they turn it over. He runs down, you know, affects the layup. They come down and hit a three. Like, he does so many of those 
little plays that help you win games. And for a while, you kind of struggle with a shot. Like, like you said, in the Kansas game, you know, looked like the lights were a little too bright. Uh, UConn, you didn't really see him do a ton, but he probably was the best player on the team in the Baylor game. And if you're going to play well against, you know, the number one team in the country now, like, okay, we might have something here. Like this guy might be pretty good. And then his jumper started to come on. You started to see it against Louisville. Um, you know, he knocked down some shots, got 10 points in that game. And then, you know, we, we talked about the Minnesota game, the, the spark he provided against Penn State, you know, getting the steal and the dunk to kind of get the crowd going and kind of start that late first half push to, to end that game. He's going to be really good. And you could tell he's still just figuring it out. And so, you know, I was expecting Matt's Christie, you know, to be the to be the guys, the freshman and Aikens to kind of fill in here and there. But that dude is a dog. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he progresses. I mean, he's already gotten so much better from November to December. So I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what happens uh, when the calendar turns. No, A.J. Hogard has provided competent backup point guard play. And that's been, you know, that's a real, that's real found money uh, for Michigan State in recent years. They've struggled with backup kind of ball handlers for a while, and he plays it in such an interesting way. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm a, I'm not sure. I'm a fan of it. Uh, he kind of reminds me of someone who would have played at Pitt uh, when we were in college, like that hard nosed, tough. I don't Super understand his bulky. body stocky guy yeah yeah like a, a guy who you don't really <laughs> understand his body and history tells us that that is a really really good sign because that's the Draymond Green thing that's the Derek Nix there's probably a few more we can think of that got slender that got in better shape and this guy's so tough that I kind of find his demeanor on the court he throws his hands up after every turnover uh in a way that like if it doesn't drive his teammates mad I'm, I'm shocked because because it probably should but he is extremely tough pound for pound yeah definitely and you know we've we've seen him make more shots this year last year you know he kind of seemed like a stabilizer there for a while a guy who wouldn't turn it over as much when they were trying to figure out the whole point guard solution but it was almost like playing four on five because he just couldn't score. But now you're seeing him and he's using that toughness. He's getting to the basket a lot more. You know, he's kind of playing bully ball with a lot of these guards. And you see guys are just bouncing off of him as he's going to the line. Um, I like to see him be better at the free throw line. Um, but he's made some threes recently, which certainly helps. And, you know, he played really well in the Kansas game. So I was hoping if if that could continue at least a little bit, like, okay, we might have something here. And, you know, if Walker struggles a bit, you can at least put, you know, Hogarth in and he can kind of stabilize some things. Uh, I like that both of them really push the ball. I mean, as soon as, you know, make or miss, they're pushing it and they're going as hard as they can and they're going to the rack often. And that was an issue last year. You know, they had nobody to do that. And so you know, I'm glad to see that. Like you said, I think his toughness and the way that he's built He's using it to his, his advantage. And I think that, you know, him losing the weight, getting in better shape, you know, it's allowing him to stay on the court for longer stretches and play play well. I mean, he was a huge reason why that Louisville game got out of hand in that second half because he, he played great. And, you know, we're seeing him and Walker on the floor at the same time. And, you know, I know Izzo likes to play two-point guards a lot. 
we didn't really see it as much with Cassius, but we're seeing it more now, and, and those minutes have been good. So Max Christie, I, I think that he's not shooting the ball well. He's, I think he's mm-hmm. around 28%, uh, 26% from three, a 33.3 repetent uh, overall. That's really not going to cut it. But when I look at this production, like I said, when I was surprised he was leading in minutes, I'm surprised he's averaging 8.7 because it doesn't seem like that. Every time he gets a shot, I don't really expect it to go in. But to his credit, I will say that it doesn't really bother me. Like, I'm really on this guy's side. I really do think that it's going to click in. And then his defense is so awesome. He really understands the game in a way, kind of like in a different way than Aikens, but it kind of seems like he is going to be in the mold that understands how to be a role player for an NBA team uh, and have kind of like a long and productive career. That's kind of what I see. I know that they say he's the most talented. Are they calling him the most talented wing players since Jason Richardson, because that seems to be uh, a a bit bold for me because that really hasn't manifested on the court. And he just kind of seems like, you know, he kind of almost seems like a a 15 and in three guy in the NBA. Yeah. I was expecting more Gary Harris because I just heard so much about how he's the most, you know, freshman guard ready since Gary. And so I, I was expecting a lot of, Okay, he'll come in, he'll make some mid-range shots, he'll defend, he'll rebound, he's super coachable. Uh, And, you know, we saw some games early with Gary, like especially the Kansas game, you know, his freshman year. And, you, I mean, he, you know, made some big shots. I think he had maybe 16 in that game. And you're like, oh, we might have something here. And then, you know, the freshman wall happens and yada, yada, yada. But we haven't really gotten that moment from Christie. No, I think he was pretty good against Butler. But other than that, like in the big games, Hadn't really seen much from him. Um, I think he isn't used to getting like the sole attention from you know the opposing scouting report, and like he was pretty much a non-factor in Atlantis. And the fact that they won two games without him, you know, I thought was was a really big deal because I think he is talented, and like you can see like his form isn't broken. Shots just isn't, shots just aren't going in right now for whatever reason. Um, but you know. I remember hearing Izzo say how pleased he was with how he's dealing with everything. And like, he's the one that's more mad that he's not, you know, playing to the way he feels he should play. And he figured like, okay, even though I'm not scoring the way I should, I'm defending really well. I can go ahead and shut somebody's water off and still affect the game that way. And the fact that you have a freshman guard who's not scoring well, leading the team in minutes goes to show that, he's still a plus on the floor, even though he's not scoring. You know, and another thought about this team too, is we kind of look at the, at the whole picture uh, winding down the stretch here. You know, I just wanted to mention a couple of things that we, we didn't get to. I mean, Gabe Brown is the most explosive scorer that they have. Malik Hall, I think is the most reliable person who's going to give you day in and day out. They're, they're going to be really good. I think he's being underutilized at this point. I think you and I might agree with that. Do you think that he should be getting more minutes because he's got an outside game and he's got an inside game that, that are really delightful. I would love to see him get, uh, you know, I don't know if maybe the Hauser minutes could, could move over in that direction, but it it seems like it would be really great to get him, uh, you know, 25 minutes a game. Yeah. He seems to have the most unique skill set of the team for sure. Um, I think as long as, he closes games. 
I'm fine whether he starts or whether he comes off the bench. You know, I wonder if they're starting Hauser to kind of try to get him some confidence and hopefully get some shots to fall. And Malik seems more of a blender where he can come in with the starters. He can come in with the bench. It doesn't really seem to matter. But he's a jack-of-all-trades guy, like you said. I mean, he's a, he can shoot it. You know, he can put it on the deck. He, he's tougher than he looks, um, at more athletic than he looks. Um, you know, the fact that the, the Loyola game, I mean, he was, he was awesome in that game for us. Um, and, you know, he's been really, really solid. Minnesota game was another, another time where they didn't really respect his jumper. And he made him pay from three a couple of different times. Uh, he got in the middle of that zone, you know, turn and face, shot a couple of mid-range uh, jumpers and also had a couple of nice assists. So he's a guy where you can kind of plug and play and you kind of you're going to know what you're going to get out of him. As long as he's on the floor to close games, I'm, I'm fine whether he starts or, you know, become becomes like the super six man. So as we zoom out a little bit, there are nine players that are averaging at least five points a game. That's not surprising to me. This is one of the most share the load to carry the load teams I can remember. And it's a style that really resonates probably, you know, it resonates with me. It probably resonates with the fan base at large because it's kind of the culture that we know and appreciate. And I guess it's, it's kind of like, yeah, you might be able to take one of these people away, two of these people away on any given night, but someone else might be able to pick up that slack. And I guess, you know, you talked about second weekend and potentially getting there, and I don't want to go crazy about all this, but I do want to say why I think it's worth considering that that Michigan State could far outpace its expectations like the football team is because I don't really see a regression coming from any of these players. Like there's some insustainability from beyond three-point land that I think will come back uh, to earth. But they're doing this well. Hauser is still struggling. Well, Christie can't make a shot. Really, for Atkins is... Uh, you know, com fully comfortable in, in getting crunch time minutes. I guess there's a lot of areas on the roster that I expect to grow and grow rather significantly that I don't really see the floor falling out at all. So I think at least we should be open to the idea that this could be a really, really good team that is in the Big Ten race until the final weekends and, and could make a Final Four because I just don't really understand where, what the fatal flaw would be outside of other teams being better or turnovers. Yeah. I mean, and I think you make a good point that, you know, we're playing as well as we are because even though uh, Christie hasn't shot well, like people thought he'd be the leading scorer and he's not, you know, Tyson Walker's just now starting to figure it out. I'd be surprised if he took a back seat considering the slow start he had. Um, like you say, Hauser, you know, another slow start hasn't really made the shots that, is expected that he'd make. I can't really see him getting worse from there. The turnover issues, I mean, you know, <laughs> the, the Kansas game was ridiculous with that. Um, you know, there are obviously others where they've turned it over a bunch. But usually, you know, as the season goes along, they get much better with that, where they go from being really bad to just average in that category. And so I don't, and there's not a lot of teams in the Big Ten that will, you know, play a pressing style that'll turn you over a lot. 
anyway like you'll you'll find some some meat grinder kind of games but you know they won't usually be be teams that turn you over 20 times a game so i do think that their ceiling is untapped right now um and i think expectations can change again you know just like they did you know after november you're kind of thinking like okay there could be a tournament team maybe win a game and now you know we've got know 10 11 games worth of data and you reassess and then you reassess the entire country and you're like this seems like a top 15 team this seems like this could be a second weekend team and who knows if you get max christie getting the 13 15 points if joey hauser's making 35 percent of his threes if tyson walker you know ups the scoring a little bit and keeps his assist numbers are right around the same as it's been the last four games you're looking at a really dangerous team. And right now, you know, I think Purdue's still the best team in the league, despite the, you know, how they looked this this past week. But, you know, we've seen Illinois struggle. You know, we've seen Michigan struggle. We've seen Wisconsin struggle. Ohio State has struggled. So who's to say that Michigan State can't be in the mix, you know, until the very end? So, yeah, I mean, any chance I get to be positive about Michigan State sports, I'm going to take it. I was excited to talk about this team and, and have you on. You know, maybe the one journalism thing I wanted to get with you in terms of media is, can you give me like five minutes here on, on your job? Like what, how did you land there? Um, you know, what are your, what do you do day to day? How'd you get there? And, you know, I've seen firsthand, I've seen you at events. It's every bit as cool as being at the anchor desk because you are in the moment and you're contributing. And there's so many layers in, in sports media that people don't understand that need to be filled and need to be filled by people who are passionate and really good at it. So how did you land where you are? Uh, so I actually uh, got a job at ESPN as a researcher out of college. Um, and again, it was a job I didn't know existed at the time. Like I went to a career fair, um, you know, saw that their booth was there. I had to take a bunch of these like, you know, sports knowledge tests and, and kind of weed out. You know, there's there's one that's like 50 questions long. It has a variety of different stuff. And, you know, if you get past that one, then you have to take the next one. And then you go through a bunch of different things. And if you get through that one, then, okay, then you talk to this other person and they, you know, talk to you about your favorite sports. And then you have to answer a couple questions here and there. And so it took me a while to get through that process, but I got through the process, eventually got the job. So I was in Bristol for uh, about seven, eight years. Um, there was a producer out there at the time uh, that I worked with quite a bit, uh, who was a Michigan fan and, uh, is from the state of Michigan. He moved to Chicago to start, well, not, not to start with Big Ten Network, but he probably moved there in 2011 when it was still, uh, pretty early in its, in its existence. Uh, I was dating a girl long distance who was living in Chicago, um, my friend knew I wanted to get home or at least closer to home. And so, you know, it was one of those like, Hey, you know, let me know if anything happens, yada, yada, yada. Uh, the guy who was previously in my job went to go to another network. And so he called me like, Hey, this is happening. Are you ready? I'm like, okay. And so I had just gotten back from college world series. I was covering that for a couple of weeks in Omaha and, you know, things went into motion really, really fast. And, you know, I've been here ever since uh, summer of 2013. And so it's been, it's been a ride. So what would you say you do around there? Uh, so it, it kind of depends on the sport. Uh, 
football season is is absolutely my busiest by far. Um, I, me and a couple other guys in the department, like we put out a research packet every week. Usually comes out on Thursday. It covers all of the Big Ten games, um, whether it's not conference or conference play. And so, you know, a lot of my work goes into that throughout the week. Um, but there's shows that we work on every day. Like there's the Big Ten Today show that's in the morning. Um, I'm usually around uh, for, you know, questions from a producer or an analyst or anchor, whoever it might be, if they need some help with something. Um, I usually provide information for that. And then there's like a big show that usually comes on in the evenings. I'm around for that as well. And Saturday is obviously the big day where you got, you know, the tailgate show in the morning and there's the, the actual games. We're providing, you know, info live as, as it's happening. We have a Slack channel and um, there, are, there are people who are like producing the game or like helping out with the game. We're all on the same Slack. So, you know, if it's Kenneth Walker, you know, runs for, a 94-yard touchdown against Rutgers or whatever it was. And so we're looking and, and we're like, oh, wow, that's the longest play in school history. And so, like, you know, one of us is sending that in the Slack. They're getting that information on the air. And so it's a kind of whole back channel of events that's happening to kind of, you know, make the, make, the pro, uh, make the product look the way it looks. Well, let me tell you why that's really cool, because I remember that minute. I remember that moment uh, watching and, and hearing that. And being shocked because I, I was like, really, that's it? Like, there's never been a longer one. You always expect those things to be a little, a little bit longer, but it's really not that often someone breaks a 96 or 97 yard touchdown run. Right. Uh, so there's little difference between 93 in that department. I think Michigan State's longest passing play may have been a pass against Northwestern that went for like 91 and it was the longest. Uh, I don't know if it's still, still the longest, but it's, it, was, it was one of those moments where I heard that. I was like, could that be true? And then it was something that I passed on to my wife who, you know, her interest is just mm -hmm. having it on in the room, right. but I was just like, no, that's the longest touchdown run in, in Michigan state history. So do you still get a little thrill out of like seeing the work that you did get out there uh, and kind of like make it to the air and know that you've, you know, the, the, the phrase that a lot of people use is you're just kind of like fine tuning people's enjoyment uh, of the game and like giving them a little 10 or 15% uh, extra to enjoy and consume. Is that, is that something you still get a thrill doing? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I like the way you put that. I, I think that kind of is what it is. Most people are watching it. They know what's going on, but if we can find a way to provide information that somebody doesn't know about, you know, it's kind of like, Oh wow. I didn't realize that. Or, Oh wow. I didn't think about that. Like, Anytime we can do that, I think it's pretty cool. Um, so, like, from that same game, when Walker broke that run and Naylor had already had the big game, you know, I was, you know, talking to, you know, one of my teammates, like, hey, look, like, you're going to possibly get, like, a 300, 200, 200 guy. I don't know if that's happened. Like, maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. He looked in the NCAA record book and, like, oh, it's only – been you know four times in the history of college football that we've had like a, a 300 200 200 guy and so like we had that ready to go like walker hadn't gotten to 200 yet you know i think he's probably still in like the 160s 170s but like you know we had it ready to go in the slack and like so when he gets to 200 like you can run this like immediately and so like he got there like you know, late in the fourth quarter they ran it 
and they ran on everything like that whole night that monday and so it was kind of it was cool to to know like hey we think this is a big deal but we're not really sure and then we look like oh this is a historic deal and then we were able to, to figure it out and provide you know the viewer with a historical context and like that that kind of stuff is always cool Another stat that filtered down to my wife, as you can tell, was a particularly romantic uh, weekend. <laughs> uh, but that is cool. Like, I, I just think that's awesome because, again, I remember being like, I think it what was it like the fifth time or the third time something where it would never happened or how many games I was trying to explain. I was like, there's been 40,000 games and it's happened <laughs> a handful of times. It was like, right. that's like, you know, finding a kernel of sand on the beach. Like, that's really rare. And, and yeah. it's just something that you just want to like, share with someone um you know when you when you find that you know trivia nerds will understand that's harold <laughs> shelton he's research manager at the big 10 network harold thanks so much for joining me oh thanks for having me on it was a blast appreciate it Is your wallet a little lighter than usual after the holiday season? Consider it money well spent because you deserve to live your best life and the Chime checking account wants to help you live yours to the fullest. A little extra money goes a long way, which is why the Chime checking account has tons of benefits that millions of members love, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and access to over 60,000 easy-to-find and fee-free ATMs. You even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit, all while managing your money on the go, including sending and receiving money fee-free with friends that aren't even on Chime. Sign up for Chime today for you and your wallet. Get started at Chime.com goals 24. That's Chime.com goals 24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.